Hello, film fans, and welcome to A Very Good Year, a new podcast where we invite a guest, a filmmaker or writer or actor or musician, anyone who loves movies, really, to pick their single favorite year of movies and tell us all about that year. I'm Jason Bailey, and across the mic and across the country from me is my co-host, Michael Hull. And our guest today is the co-host of the wonderful I Saw What You Did podcast, as well as programmer of TCM's Essential TCM Underground, Late Friday Nights on Turner Classic Movies. She is also the co-author of the new and excellent companion book, TCM Underground, 50 Must-See Films from the World of Classic Cult and Late Night Cinema, which makes a wonderful holiday gift for the film freak on your list. Friends, wake the kids, call the neighbors. It's Millie DeCherico. Hi, Millie. Hi, guys. How are you? Good, good. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. Oh, thanks for having me. This is awesome. I appreciate it. No, I mean, when we were first talking about this thing and making our kind of wish list, uh, you know, I've heard you not only on your podcast, but on uh, Pure Cinema Podcast, which is one of my favorites. And you always bring so much to the table, and uh, and especially with the work you do on on TCM are always shaking things up. And so I knew that you would do that for us. Um, For a little while there, one of my favorite sort of uh, uh, subgenres of of Twitter screenshots were um, old people on the TCM Facebook page furious because you guys were showing, you know, a John Waters movie or something like I will never (laughs) not laugh about that ever. It's delightful. Uh, same here. Um, <laughs> I'll just say that. <laughs> All right. So, Millie, what is the year that you chose, and uh, and why did you pick this one? Okay, so I actually couldn't believe that nobody had picked this year before me. So I was when when you guys came to me and asked me to do the podcast, I was like, I gotta pick this one. I'm sure it's probably already taken, but surprisingly, it hadn't yeah. been. Yeah. Um, my the year that I picked was 1967, and you know, I I think you know, especially working at TCM, this is such such a big year for film, yeah. and. Um, you know, there has been so much written about it. I know there was a Mark Harris book called Pictures at a Revolution about Amazing the, book. Yes, yes, about the um, Academy Awards from, you know, it was actually in 68, but it was about the films from 1967. Um, and so I just, it has just always stuck out to me. It's just such a iconic uh, year for American film, especially. And so I, I had to go for it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I want I want to get back to and we will get into your specific films in a minute. Um, I I do have a couple of sort of general questions about the choices, which which I think are going to surprise and thrill a lot of people. Um, But, you know, first and foremost, I'm always interested, you know, for someone who's, you know, at the very least younger than the year that they're talking about, um, in your case, considerably, I assume, um, I always want to know your cinephile journey like how you became so enamored with the films of the past and you know and and what that arc was like for you as a as a film goer and then as a film lover and and eventually a film historian yeah um so i always like to joke that like i like i what my passion for film sort of came from anywhere but my family my family is kind of hilariously and famously not into movies at all and Uh really kind of not into anything right Uh and so it was you know and i love 
love them dearly, but you know, they, it, we, they were not cinephiles or anything. So everything that I learned about movies came from basically watching TV constantly, you know, hanging out with my friends, going to the movies and stuff. So, you know, I spent a lot of years as like a teenager. Um, and you know, I won't like completely date myself hopefully, but like I grew up in, you know, in I was a teenager in like the early nineties. Um, so I, I was, I'm a child of the eighties. So oh, wow. a lot of like what I was watching on television in those days was, was stuff like HBO, but also cable TV and a lot of cable TV would run films, especially at night when they didn't want to pay for, you know, for, for primetime programming. And so yep. I, I just kind of was sat in front of a, a television as a child. And so because of that, I sort of, you know, got into not just older films, but also like kind of cult movies. And that's where I sort of developed my passion for, kind of just weird outsider cinema that um, totally tracks because i'm i'm roughly the same age well, <clears throat> um, yeah. and had a very similar experience and just that like those those late night cable you know where they're just digging into like the the movies they happen to have a license on at the moment that could be any kind of weird trash um, definitely a, you know a lot of times it is but sometimes it's like it's a gem and you're just like what planet did this uh beam in from yeah and i also think too you know just i when i was a young person i just was you know i think it's it's definitely from the fact that that my parents were pretty boring uh and uh weren't really kind of they weren't really into anything countercultural or mm -hmm. you know they were um I was obsessed with sort of anything that was weird and anything yeah. that was like transgressive or outsider. And so, and it wasn't just movies, it was music, it was art. It was, you know, I was desperately wanting to like drive into the city and, you know, go to like in town movie theaters and video stores and record stores and bookstores. So I was like always just like really hungry for anything that might be just sort of, you know, interesting and creative and, freaky yeah. so you know when i was when i was watching films like on cable and especially like hbo cinemax like that whole like paid yep. uh movie universe where the content was a lot more than it was on cable mm -hmm. um i just was always gravitating towards just i mean it could be anything from cult film but also like weird european stuff and you know anything <laughs> that was kind of like playing in the middle of the night yeah. that seemed a little just off or risque or anything like that. I was just gravitated towards. So, yeah. And now here you are in the full circle of life, putting weird shit on cable television late at night. It's, it's, it's a heartwarming tale of destiny fulfilled as far as I'm concerned. Thank you for telling me it's heartwarming. Sometimes if you do go on that TCM Facebook, you will you will see people being like, who's ruining TCM? <laughs> <laughs> so. You are saving TCM. Um, all right. So, as we said, there's a lot of great, great movie making to dig into in 1967 but it's also a year where there was some really important shit happening outside of the movie palace and so to bring us kind of up to date and situate us on the year here's mike with the 
in January, friend of the show, Charlie Chaplin, released his last film, A Countess from Hong Kong, starring Marlon Brando and Sophia Loren. And I know that's going to come up in the lightning round, I'm sure. But it yeah. doesn't, you don't have to make that face. It's a historical event, whether or not, okay. you, it's, whether or not it's a movie. It's an event. Fair enough. He's a friend of Fair the enough. show. We mention him warmly. We do. We do. <laughs> because we've never because we've never talked about a countess from Hong Kong before. <laughs> the human being took place in Golden Gate Park in San Francisco, so the Summer of Love uh, officially started in January. Uh, it was it hippies true? don't recognize your calendar. Uh, it was a long summer. No way, man. And it lasted until like the middle of '68. So that's right. Uh, buddy. The 25th Amendment to the Constitution was ratified, but it relates to presidential fitness and order of succession. So nobody cares or knows much about it, and that is fine because knowing about it means there's a problem. Sure. Uh, the world's first saw how Holbrook perform as Mark Twain in Mark Twain Tonight on CBS. So that's Brilliant. obviously uh, a good Love thing that happened yep. in 1967. The first yep. Velvet Underground record came out and also the first Jimi Hendrix Experience record. And also, I think, the first ABBA record and I think the first Pink Love Floyd it. record. Excellent. Uh, uh, Sgt. Pepper's came out that year. So that's sort yeah. of like the obvious, you know, trend kind of hinge point in culture that everybody yep. can obviously sort of relate to. So there was a lot happening in, uh, in music. music. Sonically. All right, musically, sonically, sonically. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. oral arguments for loving v. Virginia started, uh, and that paved the way for interracial marriage nationwide. And also, Thurgood Marshall was nominated and uh, succeeded to the Supreme Court. So there were some All things right. happening there as well. Things that have been uh, turned into movies. So there you have it. Yes, some things that that later became movies. The Pirates of yep. the Caribbean attraction opened at Disney World in the longest movie marketing campaign in history. Uh, also very long, successful. Long kite there, yeah. That's right. Also very successful, you have to say. Uh, the mm -hmm. six-day war between Israel and its neighbors was in June. That's uh, too, too, too much of a conversation to have on a movie podcast, but we should note that it did happen. Uh, the Newark riots happened um, when a black cab driver was arrested behind some shit story we're not giving credence to. Uh, but there were also riots in Minneapolis, Detroit, Milwaukee, uh, there was a lot happening as we were sort of coming out of the civil rights movement and moving into, obviously, all of the Vietnam protests yeah. that would happen. But before yeah. we get there, we want to recognize that American Nazi Party founder George Lincoln Rockwell was assassinated in 1967. So that's so. Let's round of applause for that. We still want to shout that out. USA, <laughs> USA. No, you know what? Sometimes we assassinate the right people. Like sometimes. Most of the time most of the time, we got a really shitty history in terms of like our, our batting average on the assassinations. So, like, props to when we got one right. That's all I'm saying. That's right. <laughs> you know? All right. Uh, also, in 1967, Muhammad Ali refused to enter the army, which is not actually a sports story as much as it's a story about Vietnam. Um, the year was really defined by, I mean, we were really yeah. turning up the number of, of guys that we were sending over there. Uh, the protests about it were were really ramping up, and and the year, in a lot of ways, politically was really defined by that because you know it was it was figuring out that um, that Johnson wasn't going to run again, even though technically he could have. 
and you know the sort of run up to Nixon, who you know was saying he was going to he was winning by saying he was going to get us out of it with literally no plans whatsoever to do anything but the opposite. So you know, I think there's actually something really. It was really fascinating to me watching the movies that you chose, you know, and the sort of things that are coming in the lineup today in light of all of the things that were happening, you know, because there was so much sort of happening on the streets. And we know that a lot of the actors and the people who were involved in these movies were interested in those things, you know, Brando famously, you know, we know that there was a lot of sort of interest in this, but in a lot of ways, the studio system was still, uh, moving moving at the pace that it was moving you know so the st louis cardinals beat the boston red sox in the world series the green bay packers beat the kansas city chiefs at the very first ever super bowl uh back when it was pure before it you know was this commercial monster (laughs) whatever i don't really actually give a fuck uh the 76ers (laughs) beat the san francisco warriors to win the nba titles and the toronto maple leafs won four games to two over the montreal canadians and that is your headlines Thank you, Mike. And uh, Millie, let's do your top five. This is a list that is fascinating in that, you know, when when you told me 67, we had a little bit of a lag between when you called dibs on the year and when we got the list. And so when I heard 67, I assumed I knew what I was going to get. You know, and there are some very, anyone who, knows about this year anyone who's read pictures at a revolution you know there's some very easy ways to go there are some obvious choices millie is not one for the obvious choice and uh that's part of why we're so happy to have her so we're gonna go through your top five uh per your request alphabetically so millie uh alphabetically what is your first movie for 1967 so hopefully I've done this correctly in alphabetical order. Um, I'll just say that right now. Um, so my first movie um, is The Fox. Just about out. We ought to cut that tree down. I'm feeding the roots. Let's give it a chance. But it's so old. Besides, it's so twisted and ugly. And last summer it, last summer it didn't have ten leaves. Still alive. Ah. Just barely. Oh, barely is enough. Oh, my God. What? The muffins. You know what? I completely forgot the muffins. For me, this movie, I think, was... When I first watched it, it was so... I felt like it was so ahead of its time in a weird way because it's a movie that has a lot of, like... You know, we're at this, like, cultural point, I think. You know, like, Mike, you talked a little bit about it. Like where we're like sort of at the very end of the production code and so, and like things are changing so rapidly within the culture and within movie culture where, um, you know, content was getting a little bit more risque. And so, and this, the Fox is ostensibly about a lesbian relationship and, uh, you know, it's a movie that stars Sandy Dennis, um, Kier Dulay and Anne Haywood. And, you know, essentially the Sandy Dennis character and the Anne Haywood character are in a relationship and they live together. Yeah. And, and this, you know, the movie is roughly about these two women who are kind of living together in this rural farm in Canada. And, um, suddenly a man enters the picture and, and sort of, um, makes himself present on their property and says, Hey, you know, I, I, my, my grandfather, you know, used to live here and own this farm and I'm trying to figure out 
where he is and more about him. And so essentially he ends up kind of crashing with them. And, you know, it's this kind of moment where um, you're, you're kind of seeing this man kind of infiltrate this sort of relationship and how that plays out. And, you know, the women in their relationship, one is very happy to be in it. The other one is kind of questioning things a little bit. So, you know, it's just that, that kind of vibe where it seems kind of in a weird way, like a countercultural film in that way, where it's like kind of a threesome scenario, but then also about, you know, two women who are, you know, in a relationship or very least living together. And I don't know, to me, that seems so fresh and, Honestly, I think it's well, really well acted. I have to say, Anne Haywood is an incredible actress. Um, I love her in so many things. She was in so many like cool cult films, mm-hmm. but also was in really, you know, kind of, I don't know, normie films and was such a great actress in every single thing she did. Yeah. Um, and I actually sort of had a little bit of a, we had a little bit of a epistolary relationship for a couple of years. And it was at the beginning of the pandemic, basically where I was living in LA and she was living in Beverly Hills. And um, she found out that I had programmed a couple of her, her movies. And she sent me a letter uh, in the mail and, and, and it was, so awesome and i wrote her back and then you know so we were kind of writing each other back we were in the same town but but it was like a thing where we i think it was just because of covid you know we were just kind of writing to each other from like two miles away but it was very sweet so yeah no the thing i this one this is one of the ones on your list that i had never seen so i tracked it down and it's not easy to see Um, right but I was I I was fascinated that thing you talk about about it being at a hinge point I find really remarkable because in a weird way in the opening scenes they're still almost doing that sort of coding of the lesbian relationship it's not explicitly stated it's all kind of the way you have to read between the lines a la celluloid closet but then she goes into the bathroom and like gets naked and like and I'm like oh well this is a, a end of the production code movie so like you know the the psychosexual dynamics that are work from the beginning are so rich and so interesting. Um, And then I'm sorry, the scene where she's finally with him and having an orgasm while Jill is calling her name. Yes. (laughs) Holy shit. Like that, that's like what I love about, about looking back you know at older films is when you see them when you see a scene from something it's very often we watch things we're like well i see how that influenced that or that you know and you sort of have to put it into that context of this seemed fresh when it came out sometimes you see a scene that would blow your hair back if you saw it in a movie now and like it would that that movie that scene would be a scorcher in a contemporary movie Uh, it's really remarkable yeah, I I totally agree. And you know, I mean, it was the movie is based off of a D.H. Lawrence right. piece. So, you know, at a certain point you are thinking, okay, well, you know, you know D.H. Lawrence, it's like but to me I feel like the performances are really the best part about it because yeah. you know, I think Sandy Dennis obviously is you know, like such a great actress and very emotional like mm-hmm. in a lot of performances. And then 
the thing about Kira Dulay too is that, you know, I, I think that he kind of stepped outside of his self in a weird way because I, the, the movie I had seen before this one actually was David and Lisa. And, mm. you know, I always kind of knew him even before I knew 2001. I always knew him. He kind of seemed like a like a, 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 a boyish type or whatever. Right. And so he really kind of plays with that a little bit in this movie because he's kind of the, you know, outsider yeah. and he's kind of the creep and you're yeah. just kind of like, huh, this is really interesting. So. Yeah. 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 Great pick. Great movie. Um, I will also cool. tell readers just, we won't get into it here because it's could be a whole damn podcast episode, but this film was also the subject of a, of a pretty amazing obscenity case. Um, in the state of Mississippi. So worth worth looking into as well. Also, you know, that that wild thing of like watching something that was seen as as literally obscene when it came out and being like, this would be on like FX now. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, Millie, what is your number two alphabetically movie for 1967? Okay, now, like I said, I don't know if this is actually in... Um... We had the same conversation before we rolled. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, but I, my next pick, I guess, if depending on, on how, how we're going to do this uh, alphabetically, is Le Samurai. <laughs> Le Samouraï, un film de Jean-Pierre Melville. Prochainement sur cet écran. Which uh, is the Jean-Pierre Melville film. I'm a huge fan of Jean-Pierre Melville. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so, and this was one of the first uh, Melville films I ever saw. And mm. I was just to totally blown away by it. Um, and I mean, I will say nobody can see me right now, but there is an actual cardboard cutout of Alain Delon behind me. <laughs> About she's on camera. It's right. He's, he's just hanging out over her shoulder. Listening. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Uh, it was, um, I won't say stolen, but it was borrowed from the TCM oh. offices. And oh. so now it's just going to be at my house for a while. Oh. It was liberated um, from, from yes, the TCM. Thank office. you. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, it's one of just, you know, Melville's classics and, you know, obviously Alain Delon is like a huge part of that. I mean, I think it's like, it's just one of those movies, you know, it's like he's a professional hitman. We love movies where professional hitmen live alone in apartments and kind of methodically, you know, prepare for jobs and like get in, involved with, you know, their careers. I'm just, you know, what is it fascinating about like a lone hitman? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, it's it's one of my favorite films, and it's it, I just love the pacing of it. I love the the colors. I love the suits, and you know the whole like bar scenes. You know, mm -hmm. like all those that club scene. You know, I just I just love it. So yeah, well, I gotta tell you, this one I revisited. I first seen it. I don't know, ten twelve years ago. There was I think a, a, a Rialto did a theatrical re release or something like that, and I went I went to see it at Film Forum. And I didn't get it the first time around. I didn't, I, yeah. I went into it wanting Bob Le Flambeur. You know, I went in wanting a, a fun French crime movie. And it's like, and it's so almost um, a, a commentary on that desire of mine. You know, yeah. that it's, that instead of being, a, you know, a, a film about cool, it's a film about process. And yes. there's such precision, you know, the precision of the filmmaking, which matches the precision of what he's doing. 
Um, and, you know, the way that it uses and then disposes of iconography. And also, uh, you know, the, the other thing that, that really struck me this time was having recently we watched, rewatched uh, Ghost Dog uh, for my last book. It's like yeah. there's such a wonderful cyclical quality to all to to all of these films. Like you can see this film's influence on Ghost Dog. But you can also see, you know, the samurai films influence on this and then the samurai influence on Ghost Dog and then also films that this one influenced like Branded to Kill and Tokyo Drifter and films like that. Like the way that everyone's sort of everyone's soup sort of gets in the same pot when you get into this specific kind that you talk about of the hitman picture is beautiful and fun to track, you know. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It is like such a process movie, like you said. And like, I just, you know, like, and and also too, just, I think I just have a fascination with, because I'm a woman, I just, you know, there's a part of me that is fascinated by you know, this, this kind of job, like a hitman job, which, you know, is, 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 to me seems very, very male, you know, based on movies, obviously, but it's that thing of like, you know, try to get into like, like, like how the how do they live i mean he has a bird you know and you're like yeah this hitman has a bird that's really interesting like you know it is it's like this guy lives alone he has a bird he kills people you know it's like that kind of thing it's just very very fascinating to me so yeah Great picture. Great picture. All right, Millie, what is your number three movie for 1967? Okay. My next film I have to say is is definitely a big fave of mine. Um, I think I'm kind of famously in love with it at work because <laughs> I program it a lot on TCM. Uh, and it's Reflections in a Golden Eye. Taylor. Firebird is a stallion. Brando. You disgust me. Elizabeth Taylor. Have you ever been collared and dragged out into the street and thrashed by a naked woman? Marlon Brando. I swear I'll do you! Reflections in a Golden Eye. A story that shows you what people do to each other. In the name of love. The movie directed by John Huston, starring Marlon Brando, Elizabeth Taylor. Um, I Hunky listen. Robert Forster. Oh, yes. Robert Forster naked riding a horse bareback, which, you know really just kind of says it all um i personally so i'm from the south okay and i i'm from georgia originally so i love any kind of southern gothic literature drama yeah oh absolutely i love like repressed gay military stories in the south you know i love like checks every yeah i love elizabeth taylor's like really overdone southern accents oh yes so so that is this is like catnip for me so i i love this movie so much and you know the, the interesting part that it was you know there was like a version that was filmed all in like golden tint yep. you know um which we play a lot on the network and i just am like there's something like at first when I I was like I can't believe the whole movie is gonna be like this. It's all gonna be golden. But then I was like, sure, why not? Sure. It just adds adds to the ambiance of the story. And yeah. you know, I mean, honestly, the story in and of itself is just like 
to me very southern and um but then brando adding brando to this mix is always just he's just such a wild card you know yeah. what i mean and like you know he you can barely understand what he's saying in much <laughs> in much of the movie which you know you're like what is going on here yeah. and my favorite one of my favorite parts of this movie is where <laughs> So the the story is that Elizabeth Taylor and Marlon Brando are a married couple and they are living kind of on this military base, but um, she suspects that Brando might, might be having an affair, having a crush on somebody and, you know, and it could have, it could be a man. And so it, it's very tense. And there's this part where Elizabeth Taylor's character is really into horses. And I guess like, Brando goes into a horse stable and like maims or kills one of her horses. And then she comes back into the house with a horse whip and starts beating him with it. And she's like screaming at it. She's like, my horse, my fireman. And she's just doing her full Elizabeth Taylor thing. And I'm, I must, I have to rewind that part like 80 times in a row. Cause it's, it's so out. It's just insane and just her it's that keyed up acting that yeah. i think i love the most so that's so amazing good. that's amazing yeah. well and i too i think you know the the thing that it, it sort of also sits at that kind of the fox pivot point in terms of what we could how much we could say and how much we could show in terms of sex and where it yeah. is still you know partially because it's southern repression tennessee williams yada yada but you know where it is again kind of using the, the sort of coded visual cues and language and stuff like that for 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 the for the the gay content but it's also like very much there and you know we were two years away from midnight cowboy so like this all of this in terms of representation was like was really on the cusp of kind of about to explode and it's almost like this movie is is that pot about to boil over Uh, yeah absolutely you're so right and then and then like i think that is sort of part of like what I find really fascinating in that way where you're just like, you can, you can tell that there's something happening, but again, like we're still kind of dealing with coding and, but yet there are moments where it kind of just jumps out at you and you're like, Oh yeah, this is a thing where he, he does have a crush on Robert Forster. He is like fascinated. Um, and you know, and you're kind of like, Oh wow. Yeah. I mean, this, this would have been so much subtler, even, two years five years before you know totally yeah 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 Yeah. absolutely all right uh your number four pick for the year Melody. well i had to okay so full disclosure you know when you look at like if you do pick up a copy of pictures at a revolution or you do look up the films um that were nominated for the academy award you will see two films that starred the actor Sidney poitier and sure i could have picked either one of those but i was like i'm gonna pick the third film that he was in in 1967 which is to sir with love to sir with love is a special kind of motion picture striking at the heart of what it means to be young emotionally brilliantly and provocatively portrayed what are we gonna talk about sir about life Survival, love, death, sex, marriage. That 
that counterintuitive Millie intuition. I love it. <laughs> I honestly, no, this was shocking to me. I, you know, obviously I knew those two films just came out the same year for the same reason you just said. I, for some yeah. reason, had it in my head that Chasseur was like a year or two earlier. So like, what an incredible year for him to put, to have all three of these, of these really iconic movies to come out. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, this was obviously his year through and through. Yeah. And, you know, his his like his whole career is very interesting anyway, considering that he was probably, I would say, the most famous black sure. actor working in classic Hollywood. And to me, though, to serve with love, it feels like a movie where he was a little bit looser and a little bit more joyful in his performance. I mean, the movie is still obviously about class and race, I think, because it has to be. It has Sidney mm-hmm. Poitier in it, right? right? But at the same time, there are moments of this film that feel very fun and mm-hmm. and easy breezy. And mm-hmm. I just, I don't know, I just feel like I like it for that reason. And, yeah. you know, because basically the film is, you know, Sidney Poitier plays a, he's essentially an engineer that can't find an engineering job. And so he decides to take on a teaching job in this really rough part of London. Uh-huh. And it's like a, a a high school with a bunch of kids who are like working class, a lot of broken families, a lot of like bad, you know, teenage pregnancies and that kind of stuff. You know, it's basically one of those great teacher films where he goes in, the kids like reject everything that he's doing and they're really bad but then he kind of wins them over and he kind of teaches them how to become like adults and but it's also very of the time culturally because it's like it's got this kind of swinging london vibe and there's like dance sequences and it's got a lot of like hip slang and a lot of the kids are very you know cool and mod and so i don't know like to me a a number featuring the title track being sung for him absolutely by lulu which i such a great tune and i if i ever i don't do karaoke often but when i do (laughs) i always pick to start with love because it's it's a favorite one to like belt out after a few drinks but um but yeah it's to me it's that thing where i'm like i don't know like like i just think he and he's so handsome in this film and he's he's you know, got those suits on and there's the sequence uh-huh. where he's actually dancing with one of the students is so good. And I just, yeah. I don't know. I just like seeing a little bit of that from him, you know? Yeah, totally. No, this one was a, was a revelation to me because I, I realized I hadn't seen it. It's just one of those yeah. ones that you feel like you've seen, even if you haven't, because it's, first of all, it was imitated so many times, but it's always in, you know, the clip shows and the stuff like that, but it is yeah. really it is a naughtier K-N-O-T test. Sorry, I didn't mean to convey any any untoward uh, behavior <laughs> from the future. It is a naughtier um, movie than I than I expected because it sort of it hits that point about midway through where he has won them over. But then you're like, this movie's midway through, and so the way that they sort of deal then with the implications of that and the responsibility that he then has to them after that was what I really found compelling. And a step that, frankly, a lot of the imitators don't bother to, to take. Yeah, yeah, I, I enjoy it. I mean, you know, like I said, it's a little bit lighter mm-hmm. than the, the other films he was in, obviously, from this year. And 
but I, but I like it for that reason. And, you know, I just, I just think he's so handsome and charming and wonderful in this movie. And I, I had to pick it. So. Yes, absolutely. The two things that were shocking to me in watching it were uh, number one, written, produced and directed by James Clavell, which like, mm-hmm. I don't know if, if, if you're a child of the eighties, then you know that name from the, the hardback of Shogun sitting on your parents' bookshelf. I I had <laughs> I only knew him as the Shogun guy, so I was like, okay, whatever. And then um, wow. again, sorry for the, the 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 first time watched recently. Christian Roberts, if this guy isn't somehow ancestry.com connected to Eddie Redmayne, I will eat my boot. He has such <laughs> a Redmayne look and energy to him. Yeah, and, and and his character, and this is so funny because for the longest time, I didn't realize, like, his character is named Denim, and I thought it yeah. was, like, Denim as in, like, Blue Jeans, but it's yeah. spelled, like, D-E-N-H-A-M. It's, like, a, a British name or something. Yeah. And I was like, oh, now, I, I just always had thought he was called Denim because he was cool and he was in a gang or something. Yeah. And I didn't realize that that's not the case. But he, a lot of great outfits, by the way, yeah. like the leather jackets and the dresses yeah. and everything. It's yeah. so good. Some so great good. mod 60s dresses, yes. All right, yeah. here we are, number five. Millie, what is your final pick for your favorite movie of 1967? <laughs> so, um, I don't know. Maybe if you if you know a little bit about my work or know my interests, <laughs> you might understand why i had to pick this one i had to pick valley of the dolls that's right of course of course now the motion picture that shows what america's all-time number one bestseller first put into words i wasn't much of a man living with you Nelly, but that's over i'm straightened out now with that little heart that little hall makes me feel nine feet tall. Dolls, the instant turn-on. For instant love. Instant excitement. Ultimate hell. Yes, I mean, just an epic camp classic. And I, I have to say, like... I've rewatched this movie like recently, especially after the Blu-ray came out, the Criterion yep. Blu-ray came out. And I was like, wow, like this movie is epic. Like it has yep. such like, it's just really grand and like what it's showing and what it's doing. And I just, you know, I, and, and just reading all about it, just knowing that it was based off of this huge, huge smash novel and the the jurassic park of its time yes absolutely and there was just all this kind of drama that was involved with like jacqueline suzanne but also the people in the film and it was like you know and just knowing that it has like sharon tate who has this huge epic you know, story about her mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and then you wrap that up into this like Hollywood is evil package mixed with yep. drugs. And like, you know, you have the Barbara Parkins character who's kind of the like, you know, she's kind of like your Sherpa through this world because she's <laughs> the one that kind of comes from right. the, she comes from the like quiet Douglas Cirque town or whatever <laughs> with the with the yep. snow and like the 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 giant waterfall town where everything is wonderful and then she goes to 
seedy Hollywood where her life gets ruined by, you know, the business and the drugs and the fame and stuff. So all the exploiters. And then I think obviously if you've seen this film and part of the reason why it is such a camp classic is because of Patty Duke. I mean, her performance in it is so good and so funny and bitchy and kind of unhinged. I mean, it's awesome. Like commit to the bitch. Yeah, totally. Totally. Absolutely. All right. Before we wrap up, I do have to ask, like, this is a this I've I've been wondering this since I've seen this on your list. In in a in, okay, the, it, you can run into a vault that where everything is on fire and you can only grab one. Is it Valley of the Dolls or Beyond the Valley of the Dolls? Oh, 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 oh. Mm. <laughs> I, I can't, I, this is such a man what a what a sophie's choice yeah. um i have to say i you know i i do weird weirdly like valley of the dolls a little bit more now in my mm. in my older years sure. no shade to be on the valley of the dolls it is a <laughs> It is a masterpiece of excess. And I mean, that movie has literally everything yes, you ever want in a movie. <laughs> and I mean, it has like such amazing, like pedigree. I mean, it's like Russ Meyer, Roger Ebert. It's a, it's a great film. And there's literally everything you can think of in that movie. But I feel like that movie obviously was such a huge huge thing to have happened after Valley of the Dolls that it made me be like, oh, well, now I want to watch Valley of the Dolls and see what that's like again. And I was like, this is great. Like, Valley of the Dolls is also great. It also has, like, it's an epic cult film just just as much as Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is, you know. Beautiful. All right. Well, Millie, thank you so much for this wonderfully esoteric and unexpected and wonderful top five. And I had such a good time, you know, watching all of these or watching them again. Uh, Just a real treat. Um, Oh, good. I'm happy. All right. Let's find out then what films were simultaneously winning trophies and making money. Uh, Mike, let's take a look at the awards and box office. Sell out with me. Oh, yeah. Sell out with me tonight. Best Picture, Best Actor for Rod Steiger, Best Adapted Screenplay for Sterling Silphant, the unnamed but aforementioned In the Heat of the Night. Very good film, I I think. Millie, where do you land on In the Heat of the Night? I mean, like, I, I, it's amazing. Like, it's an amazing film. It's so important. And, you know, obviously has like, it, it became like, do you remember the television show? Like oh, yeah. that was, the sh- I actually had saw the show before I saw the film. And, that you thing know, ran for years and years. Oh my God. If you're like an old TBS superstation person, like if you remember this from, from your younger years, you'll yeah. be like, oh. In the heat of the night is on. That means the cartoons are over. Yes. It means that it's, <laughs> it's time to move on with your day. It's like this is the show that comes on after the morning stuff comes on. So, <laughs> Mike, what else was winning Oscars that year? Best director went to Mike Nichols for The Graduate. Now that's I, I that that's a fine motion picture as well. I believe. I I, I think I think I can. I I don't think I'm causing much controversy there. Yeah, I think I've heard of it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, best Actress to Catherine Hepburn and Best Original Screenplay to William Rose for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. 
Okay, so there's the third film of our, uh, yeah. our Sidney Poitier trifecta. And Millie, uh, this, this one Notice is a his little... name didn't come up, though. That is mm. interesting. That is mm. interesting. He had won... Oh, God. I Help me not look it up. Millie, had, he had won a couple years earlier for uh, the movie with the nuns. God damn it. What's the... <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, uh, not Patch of Blue. Is it Patch of Blue? No, he made no. one for Patch of Blue. Damn it. Okay. All right. Tell us okay. what you think of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner while I look up what the hell he won his Oscar for. So embarrassing. Um, I... Mm. Listen, uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner is a huge film. We play it all the time. Maybe not like my favorite, though. Like, I de- it's definitely not my favorite Poitier film. I'll just say okay. that. Okay. Um, you know, I, like I said, I don't want to take away from the idea that it's important and that it should be seen and that kind of stuff. But I don't know. I just it doesn't really I'm not really moved by it as much as some of the other films. So. Well, it's it's also sort of the opposite of the the movie that you chose uh, of, of his in the way that you mentioned that, like, you know, it's a little bit lighter film. He gets to have some moments that aren't making that face <laughs> you know and that's yes. part of the conversation we're having now about representation and sort of what stories are being told and how they're being told and does everything have to be you know a movie about how terrible you know that kind of this i mean it's obviously a much deeper conversation than we're going to have right now but it is represented in the movie you chose and these other things and i think there's a reason why it's nice to see one that has a little bit of success a little bit of lightness, a, a few moments of sort of humanity that aren't just strictly so hard. Yeah, you're. Yeah, and there's this other thing too about, and this this was a lot in the '60s too of like having to tell the old people about the new things, yeah. you know. And I, you know, and it, that can get really clunky. I mean, there's so many like bad like old people who accidentally take LSD movies in the yes. '60s, and like, you know, it's just that whole thing where you're just like oh god i gotta watch like two you know older folks find out the new new yeah yeah so oh god yeah uh lilies of the field by the way that that was the oh, best that's right the best that's right. all right what else mike was winning oscars that year? estelle parsons won the best supporting actress oscar for bonnie and clyde that's a motion picture right there that's a performance Man. and that's a motion picture millie yeah i mean honestly isn't that the one of the biggest and best movies of the year. And, you know, obviously I, you would obviously want to pick something like that. You would want to pick something like the graduate. But for me, I, I just was like, okay, well maybe let's just try to do something different, but I I still better than everybody else. I'll just say it. I'll just say it. Thank you very much. I very much appreciate that. But <laughs> no uh, one you know, who's I, listening to this show needs to be told to watch Bonnie and Clyde for the graduate, <laughs> but they might that, go like torrent the fox because that's like the only way you can see it. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt. I was like, haven't we heard enough about Bonnie and Clyde? But honestly, it still hits. I mean, like oh, I saw it like I don't know, like maybe a couple years ago, and yeah. I want to say I saw it. In in a theater, Ooh. and that end. I mean, that ending is so intense. Yep. You know, and I'm like, damn, this movie still hits. Like, yep. still. Yes, so. Yes, indeed. Yep. Uh, what else, Mike? <clears throat> George Kennedy got uh, won Best Supporting Actor for Cool Hand Luke. God. Oh buddy. my God. Cool Hand Luke too that year. <laughs> this, is a lot. this is a big year. <laughs> I almost picked 
that one it's... because of George Kennedy. He rules <laughs> it. He's so good. Yeah, talk about a really fun Southern accent. I mean, God, that that take it off, boss, that whole yeah. thing. Yeah. I can watch over and over no, again. So. I, you know, I saw Cool Hand Luke for the first time. I When I got my Blu-ray player in 2007, that was like one of the first ones that was available. And I so I watched it for the first time on Blu-ray and it knocked me out because again, that's one where you think you know what that movie is because you've seen Failure to Communicate clip in every Oscar montage. But there's so much going on in that fucking movie. It's insane. Oh, definitely. And I mean, I I think now after we've seen the last movie stars documentary, we totally understand the attractiveness of Paul Newman. Really and you know, there I, I can't say anything else about it. Like now everybody knows. There so why talk about it? There we go. Uh, there were some other big uh, award winners that year. Internationally, The Departure won the Golden Bear at Berlin. Belle de Jour won the Golden Lion at Venice. And Holy Blow Up shit. won Palm d'Or at Cannes. While this Hold movie on. just Ooh. keeps the fuck on going. Belle de Jour <laughs> is like that. I had the, 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 the intense luxury of seeing that for the first time in a theater probably five years ago. And wow. uh, singed my this. I went bald that day. Like it is, <laughs> it is so sexy. I was not prepared for that movie to be as hot as it is. Oh my gosh! And you said um, blow up too. My yeah. God, yeah. like yeah. insane. Yeah, insane. Yeah. 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 And uh, for the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor for Richard Attenborough, Doctor Doolittle. There why, you go. why not? Why not That's put a pin in this in this segment with Doctor D? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about the the box office. Yeah, the box office is uh, it's it dances around. Some of these things have come up so far. Number yeah. ten was Camelot. Um, uh, yeah. we're really winding up an arrow with yes, that one. Uh, yes, number nine was the Jungle Book, the Disney version. Yep. Uh, sort of a classic to this day. So Number eight, Thoroughly Modern Millie. Thoroughly Modern Millie is, as far as those like late 60s bloated roadshow musicals, not half bad. There's some fun yeah. numbers in it. Mary Tyler Moore is is adorable in it. Uh, yeah. Cole Channing's fun. It's fun. It's too, like like most of them, it's too lumbering and it's too long. But there's some, there's some nice numbers, I think, in Thoroughly Modern Millie. Yeah. I guess you might have a, a thought or two on on uh, on this one, Millie. <laughs> well, you listen, it gets brought up every... There's two things that get brought up when I'm introduced to somebody. Either Millie Vanilli, the band, oh, God. or Thoroughly <laughs> Modern Millie. This is so, the better... Yeah, this is the more preferable choice, I would have said. Yeah. All right. I don't hate Wizard of Oz because of the movie. I hate it because everybody I've ever told him from fucking Kansas for 30 years has... That's go. been the only reference they understand. That's why I hate it. It's your fault, <laughs> not mine. It's not the movie's fault. Yeah. It's, a, it's America's fault. It's the world's <laughs> fault. Get some, uh, get some better references. There's been there many. Go. There's been a lot of Millies since the '90s. Anyway, there we go. <laughs> uh, number seven that year. You only live twice. James Bond movie. All right. But mm-hmm. where, where do you land on that one, Millie? I actually haven't seen it. Me neither. So. I feel like a schmuck. I was hoping you would. All right, moving on. Uh, number six is uh, to serve with love. Big hit. Number five, Valley of the Dolls. We've had those conversations. Uh, America agreed with you. Those are fine films. Number four, (laughs) The Dirty Dozen. God, I love The Dirty Dozen. I love 
I mean, like, at risk of being the cliche, you know, borderline middle-aged man, that movie fucking rips. <laughs> okay, but, but in the contract rips. that you signed to work at TCM, did you have to to say that you love that movie in order to work there? Did you have to, was that a, a part of your contract? Or is it just a part of the environment? It's not really written down. They, they, they were basically like... If you can't name at least three of the <laughs> cast members of the Dirty Dozen, you can't work here. So, video store rules. rules. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, video store rules. I got you. Exactly. Legit. Uh, number three was Bonnie and Clyde. Well-deserved. Against yes. Jack Warner's best efforts. <laughs> <laughs> number two was Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Which is interesting. Uh, this guy had a big year. And number yep. one was The Graduate with $43,1967. It's a nice nice chunk of change for a character-driven comedy drama, I would That's say. That's right. All right. So there is our domestic. And uh, I don't know. Millie, what do you think? You up for a lightning round? Sure, sure. All right. Mike, how are we doing on time? We're we going to do a fiver or a tenner? <laughs> Uh, Millie's on point, so we got 10 minutes for the lightning round. We're going to do a 10-minute lightning round. I got a nice long list of uh, of 1967 releases. Uh, just do a quick hit, yay or nay, what you think, if you got something to say, if you haven't seen it, or you don't care to comment on it if you don't want to hurt a friend's feelings or something like that, feel free to pass and we move on. Here we go, 10 minutes on the clock, and in cold blood. It's a yay. All right. It's it's a yay. Yeah. Do I have to give the reason why or do <laughs> if you have something to say, please do. Yes. Oh yeah. No, I mean I I I don't want to say yay in se- in the sense that I love Robert Blake as a person or something, but <laughs> or I'm just saying as a movie it's it's yes. very yes. very good. Point blank from John Borman. Oh hell yes. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> The infamous Beatles quote unquote misfire magical mystery tour. Okay, I've never seen this one. So <gasps> I know. I, I know. gasped. Okay. All right, all right. Well, you know what? You gotta save these treasures and put them through your life like little Easter eggs. Yeah. Um DA Pennebakers don't look back. Oh, that's a classic, of course. Absolutely. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Uh wait until dark yes it's been a while since i've seen that one but i blind audrey hepburn is that what we're talking about yeah. here yeah. Oh, yeah i mean why why not it's yeah. good that that ending still slay like i've seen that movie in a theater and that ending still tears an audience down it is great and uh, also um oh my god um now i'm blanking on one of the guys in the film Alan Arkin. Alan oh, Arkin's yeah. in that movie. Yeah. Amazing. Alan is a villain. He could have done. Yes. That could have been like a whole other career for him. He's so effective Ooh. in that movie. Yes. All right. Hell's Angels on Wheels. Ooh, I saw this one in college and I haven't seen it since. So it's it's been a long time. Uh, I think it's a yay. But again, I need to revisit it. So. All right. Similar players also appeared in 1967 in roger corman's the trip love the trip big fan of the trip um i think we wrote about it in the book i think i think toy wrote about the trip in in our book so beautiful beautiful yeah. all right uh the aforementioned sharon tate co-starring in the fearless vampire killers 
Ooh, I don't know if I want to go on record about this. The can of worms that's known as Roman Polanski. We can just, we can leave the can opener sitting next to it and move on quietly, if that would make sense. Yes, okay, yes, yes. Uh, two, not one, but two films from the aforementioned Russ Meyer in 1967, Common Law Cabin and Good Morning and Goodbye. I gotta say, the, I have not seen these. Me neither. So I don't feel yeah. nearly as bad about that now. Yeah. Uh, the first film appearance of Billy Jack, The Born Losers, was released in 1967. Love the Born Losers. Love that Billy Jack. Yeah, yeah, so that, good. He's he's that's a that's that's a that's an interesting group of films to watch together. Absolutely. Um, Otto Preminger's Hurry Sundown was released in 1967. Have I seen this one? I normally have, I've seen a lot of Preminger's films. I'm a big fan, yeah. so yeah. I don't know. I don't think I've seen this one though. It's not one of the more memorable ones, and especially yeah. when we knew that Skidoo was waiting in the wings. The aforementioned Skidoo. <laughs> Exactly. Speaking of old people taking LSD. (laughs) Everyone's got a Carol Channing, but I can only do her singing the chorus of the Skidoo title song. Um, Okay, that weird fucking uh, multi-director parody version of Casino Royale came out in 1967. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't, I, no, I have not seen that. It's nope. not good. It's not good. Uh, <laughs> Frederick Wiseman made his, uh, his, his first big splash with Titty Cut Follies. Yes, I have seen. I mean, it's not one that I return to often. Not watchable. No. Yes, no. I definitely saw it in in film school, uh, and I love Frederick Wiseman. I actually mm-hmm. saw him at the New Yorker Festival a few years Ooh. ago speaking, and he's so interesting. But yeah, I mean, an important film, but not one that I like watch a lot. Yeah. So, uh, Mad Monster Party was released in 1967. Oh my gosh. The, now, I haven't seen this one in forever, but I remember loving it when mm-hmm. I saw it. Mm-hmm. The so aforementioned good. Paul Newman in Ombre. Oh my gosh. Ombre. I don't think I've seen Ombre. Oh. A lot of those Paul Newman 60s one word titles, they kind of mesh together in, in, in the Yeah, world. maybe I was thinking Harper. Perhaps. I, I don't know. I'm getting <laughs> Ombre does not seem like a har- a Harper movie, but let's see. Um early in the in the headlines, we mentioned uh Charlie Chaplin's account is from Hong Kong, starring another Marlon Brando appearance this year, and Sophia Loren. Where do you sit on this one? I have not seen it, unfortunately, and oh. that is for shame. You're so. fine. You're totally fine. You're fine. Um, <laughs> Her reflections in a golden eye, or his reflections in a golden eye co-star Elizabeth Taylor, uh, starred with her longtime love Richard Burton in *The Taming of the Shrew* for Franco uh, Zeffirelli in '67. Look, I have that poster <laughs> in my in my dining room right now, and it is signed by nice. both. Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton. I won't tell you where I got her from, but I'm just Ooh. saying it might be the same place that I got the Alenda lawn cut out from. <laughs> <laughs> might have liberated that as well. Good for yes. you. Um, yeah. Speaking of uh, Audrey Hepburn, Two for the Road was released in 1967. Oh, yeah, that's a really charming film. Yeah. 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 Speaking of charming, uh, Robert Redford and Jane Fonda in Barefoot in the Park was released in 1967. <laughs> Listen, I uh, I'm kind of famous. 
famously like a person that didn't think Robert Redford was super hunky like in this era, but he's he's really hunky in this film. I will say yeah. that, um, and I think super hot in this movie. Like it's a little unnerving how much sexual chemistry is in this little charming I, Neil Simon rom com. Yeah, I, I gotta say both like just so cute. You're yeah. right. Yep, yep, yep. How to succeed in business without really trying. Oh my gosh. I mean, what <laughs> are those movies that I'm like, I appreciate it existing, but I can't like watch it all the time. Is that Robert Morse? Is he yes, in this it film? Is. Yes, it yes. Is. And that's like pre Mad Men, Robert yep. Morse. It's yep. nice to see him so yep. young. It is. So. It is indeed. Uh, Frank Sinatra and Tony Rome came out in 1967. Gosh, I don't, I have not seen this. I have not seen it. All right. Yeah. Three, not one, not two, but three Elvis Presley movies hit screens in 1967. Clambake, Double Trouble, and Easy Come, Easy Go. Oh my gosh. TCB, TCB, every day. (laughs) These are some of these movies where I'm like, oh, I forgot he was in so many fucking movies. Like, oh my God. Like, I might have seen Clambake, maybe, like on TCM randomly, but the other two. That would track. Um, A really terrific uh, uh, subway drama called The Incident was released in 1967. The very young Martin, uh, I almost said Martin Short, Um, a very young (laughs) Martin Sheen. That would be super young. Uh, it's a, a this tense subway drama, um, sort of a proto Pelham one two three. Oh well, I have not seen it, and now I want to. It's real. Good. That sounds awesome. Yeah, he described it to me the same way, and I was like, "Shit, Bailey!" And then of course you have to go see it after that. Um, of course, Up the Down Staircase was released in 1967, starring the aforementioned Sandy Dennis. Yeah, that's a that's a good one actually. That's kind of like a little a, a movie that's I don't know if it's called a sleeper, but it's a movie that I feel like more people should know about. Yeah, it's not easy to see, but it's very much it's kind of like her doing to Sir with love, but exactly, in like, but in like inner city New York. I gotta say, I I was glad to have an excuse to watch another Sandy Dennis movie because I watched so much of her in researching the New York book. She was such a perfect new york um uh protagonist in so many yeah. she's so neurotic and funny yeah. and great and yeah okay um here's another one that's hardish to see considering the cast love uh with elaine may and uh what does it say peter falk and jack lemon does that sound right yeah l-u-v right that's yes. is that, yeah yeah i feel like you know i i feel like i want i try to program this movie once on tcm and for some reason i couldn't so i've not i've not seen it but i i am trying to research i've need to research it and figure Got out the rights so. gotcha gotcha shirley mclean and woman time seven Okay, I don't even know if I've even heard of this movie, unfortunately. I, Woman I Time have, 7. It got a Kino uh, Blu-ray a few months back. Um, wow. It's, it's, a, okay. it's a, like an anthology with hers, seven different women. All right. Oh, wow. Last movie for the lightning round, a, a, an important key piece of cinema, I think um, a, a big influence on everything that followed in the art form, Don Knotts as the reluctant astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit! You know, sadly, I have not seen this one, wow. despite loving Don Knotts. <laughs> so, I gotta tell you, Melly, I don't know if you did any uh, Black Friday physical media shopping, but um, 
Amazon had the Don Knotts Blu-ray collection uh, for $24. (gasps) Five movies, a steal at twice the price. So I will be watching The Reluctant Astronaut and soon. Oh my gosh, amazing. An excellent, excellent lightning round, Millie. Thank you so much for, for running through the history with us. Um, oh, great. We do uh we do want to talk uh before we wrap it up about again I'm holding it up. We got to uh I swear if if we had a a YouTube uh, no one would actually watch it. <laughs> uh the book again is TCM Underground 50 Must See Films from the World of Classic Cult and Late Night Cinema uh by our guest Millie DeSherico and Quatoya Murray. Um tell us about the book just give give us the the quick sell, and then I'll sing its praises a bit. <laughs> well, you know, it's a um, it's a book that's sort of anchored around the the late night block that I have been programming called TCM Underground. It's on it comes on TCM uh, late nights on Fridays, and I've been programming it since two thousand six. Wow. And um, yeah, and it's that a was long a time run for television. Like, congrats on that. <laughs> I know. I, I'm, I'm kind of thankful that it happens in the middle of the night so that nobody's <laughs> nobody at my network is awake to know what's <laughs> been happening. So I'm like, you just keep letting me do it. That's yep. cool with me. Yep. Um, but we we, deci- we decided to publish a book around it, and it's basically 50 titles um, of – they're all movies that have aired as part of 2CM Underground, and uh, Toya picked 25, and I picked 25. And it's just sort of like our – contribution to the kind of cult canon and and to fill the cult reference guides that we grew up with, you know, just like, you know, the psychotronic guide to film and the Danny Perry books and that kind of stuff. And we just wanted to kind of have a, a place that, you know, we could talk about some of these cult movies that we really enjoyed. So it was, it was really cool and fun to write. And you have, it looks here, a, a forward by uh, a promising young writer, Pet Tone, <laughs> Oswald? Am I saying that right? Is, is that I got I, yes. I forgot to check that pronunciation. Anyway, he seems like a <laughs> seems like an entertaining fellow. Um, here's what I yeah. love about this book. Much like in preparing the list for us today, like there is a there cult movies have been a thing for long enough now that there yeah. is a canon. Like there's a really easy go-to cult movie canon. Of like, you know, John Waters movies and Eraserhead and Rocky Horror and all of that stuff. Um, But when you think about it, like when um, Pink Flamingos came, like it's been as long since Pink Flamingos came out as it had been since the Gold Rush came out when Pink Flamingos was released. Like this is a 50 year thing now. And what's great about the book is that those films, like you say, have been written about in, in wonderful volumes, but like nobody needs to, to get sold Eraserhead again. But right. you've got stuff in here like Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker, and Possession, and, you know, Secret Ceremony, and the, you know, um, oh God, what, what was the thing that totally jumped out at me? It's like, oh yeah, 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 MMA, aka Black Sisters Revenge, like, Right. It was stains and Satanus the Devil's Mask. Satanus the Devil's Mask is fucking insane. Um, yeah. <laughs> I like that, that you, uh, that I think it's, it's important to, it, as film writers and historians, to acknowledge the canon and to yeah. grapple with the canon. And it's also really important to explode the canon. And yeah. a book like this is so valuable to that very important mission. Like, we have to keep 
looking for what's new and finding these gems and putting them under this kind of spotlight. And the writing yeah. is wonderful and the layout is Thank gorgeous. You. It's just, it's such a cool book to just hold and flip through and be like, oh, I want to see that with that devil head. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's just a great, it's, it's a really great book, Millie. And I, I, I can't oh, congratulate you. you enough for putting it together and for contributing this. Like I, said, I mean, those books have been around and this book is going to be around and it's, it's important to keep expanding it and to keep putting new films into the conversation. And you do that every week on TCM and you do it in between these covers. And, uh, and we just, I, as a film fan, I thank you for doing it. Oh gosh. Thank you. That it like, honestly, that means so much to me because I, I, you know, I was a person that grew up with like, again, like kind of the canon and film culture and these like things and, you know, just the opportunity to get to even like contribute to it in some way is so such an honor and you know i i just feel like yeah when it came to i mean there's in the book there there are definitely like i mean toya wrote about the harder they come that's one of the original midnight films alongside you know pink flamingos and Eraserhead. so it's not as if we're like fuck everything you know we're you know we're we're the authorities that's that's not what we wanted to do at all which is why we didn't do like the 50 greatest cult movies of all time type of thing we just wanted to like you know, throw some of, some of the stuff that we just have enjoyed over the years. And, you know, some of it is, you know, like the monkey's head, that movie, I remember being talked about in college. That's something I needed to see. It was such a mind fuck of a movie. Uh, But then also, yeah, stuff like Satanist, the devil's mass and secret ceremony, which I was like, secret ceremony was never presented to me when I was in college going to midnight screenings. And I'm like, this movie is weird as shit. Like what in the world, you know, like, and, and it's got, like interesting people in it so anyway you know that's what we were just trying to do and we hope people enjoy it and i'm glad that you enjoy it and you know i'm glad that we got all the photography worked out that was a huge <laughs> I, you, you wrote a book i don't know if that's this was funny. a problem for you but yeah. getting those photos sometimes oh, yeah. is a little dicey but yeah. uh it worked out so we're right. happy well congratulations it will be sitting next to the psychotronic uh, film guide and the Danny Perry books and midnight movies and all of those forever and, and part of that conversation. So thank you again for doing it. Thank you for coming on the show. Hey listeners, do you like our show? Do you enjoy uh, a very good year? Please rate and review. Please tell people to listen to our program. We so appreciate it. There's the, the, the part I have to remember to do every show. Okay. Um, (laughs) You go, oh, Millie, where can people follow you on social medias uh, as much as they are at the moment? Well, I do have a personal Twitter account that I don't post very much in anymore, but it's under my name, Millie DeCherico. But then I also, I technically run the TCM Underground Twitter account, uh, which is basically the place where you can find out about the programming each week for TCM Underground. Um, so that's just TCM Underground on Twitter. If you are on Instagram, I'm on Instagram somehow. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm still technically on Facebook, so I'm, I'm out there. Gotcha. find me. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. All right, you can follow me on Twitter, such as it is, uh, Jason-Bailey. I'm more active these days on Instagram under Fun City Cinema. Mike, where can the folks follow you? Brainwashed Live on Twitter. Very good. And Mike, before we go, what is your favorite movie of 1967? I got to go with Don't Look Back, dude. 
I mean, I know it's a, it's a classic, but it's just you know the the way the way that movie sort of deals with that hinge moment in time and grapples with it, and you know, yeah, I got to go with Don't Look Back. How about you? I, Mike just likes movies where people are just dicks through the whole thing too. So I'm not the only one. Yeah, aspirational. Right. Um, you know, I got to go point blank. Um, it's just so miles ahead of its time you know the fact that it's doing things that Soderbergh like picked back up you know 22 years later in the limey it's so stylish every performance is interesting Lee Marvin yeah. is a fucking pimp in it it's a really it. really good movie <laughs> alright so thank you again Millie thank you guys it was such a joy to be on this podcast with you thank you Mike thank you Jason and thank you for listening. It was a very 